Welcome to Passion Life Church. We're in a series called Relationship Goals, and this is part five. And we're talking about all kinds of relationships and principles that relate to different relationships. And we've primarily been focusing on those that are married and those that are, are single and, and want to be married. And we've been asking this question, are great relationships possible? Yes, they are. Absolutely. If we do them God's way. You know, marriage statistics right now are 50%. It's pretty sad that a couple will get married and the odds are already against them. But here's what's important. God made marriage to succeed 100% of the time. When God created marriage, he created it to succeed 100%. So here's the good news. If we do it God's way, we have 100% success rate. Come on, somebody. But I got to also let you know, marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. I got two amens on that. Marriage is 100-100. And you need to hear that, especially if you want to be married. It's not two halves coming together. It should be two whole people. In God's mathematics, it's one plus one equals one. Because God wants us to be one, right? The two shall become one. And so since God created life, what he did is he gave us a manual. He gave us a manual for this life, for marriage. And let's be honest, how many of us, when we get new products, we read the manual? Usually only if you're getting something from Ikea, right? Because you have like 40,000 pieces that come together. And I love Ikea, but I, I, I have to read the manual. And then so many of us live life and go through marriage And we don't look at the manual. God gave us a manual, not just to survive in relationships. And I'm I'm being, I'm going to be encouraging this morning. God doesn't want you just to survive and endure your marriage. God gave us a manual so we could thrive in marriage. And I believe that we can be such an example to the world that the world can look at us and say, what is it that is different? And to be honest, it is God and only God. And if we will look at him first in our marriage, look to him, you know what? We can defy the odds. But if we're honest, relationships can be tough marriage can be tough it's it's work it takes work and for some of us it's tough because we've made a lot of different mistakes in relationships some of us have done things that aren't in line with what God said and man we we got we got hurt or maybe it wasn't even our fault maybe it was just somebody else's fault and we got involved and, and we got hurt And uh, so when we talk about relationships, we've been taking this approach. It's the approach that a husband and a wife take when they stand before each other and they say those vows from this day forward. In other words, I don't care who you dated in the past. It's from this day forward. I'm making a commitment to you. And I want to make that commitment this morning. Today, this has been our theme verse for this, uh, this series. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19, Jeremiah has been lamenting. This Lamentations is a, a depressed book. Uh, and he says this. He says, I remember my affliction, Jeremiah talking and my wandering. In other words, I had trouble. 
I went places that I shouldn't have gone. And then he says, the bitterness and the gall, I will well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Look at verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Would you say that with me this morning? Say, I have hope. There is hope today. Why? Because Jesus is here and when he's in the relationship, there is hope. And then verse 22, he says, Here's, here's this hope that he's talking about. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. One translation says his mercies never fail. They are new every morning, even in daylight savings time. They are new every, they're not an hour late. Come on, somebody. I'm just trying to be relevant with you this morning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so as we look at relationships today, um, I, I want to have that mindset that mercies are new, that we're going on from this day forward and that we can learn. And we've talked about making five commitments that'll help us increase our odds. And uh, we're going to go through these. Here's number one. We talked about seeking God. We talked about fighting fair. How many of you know you cannot avoid conflict, but you can fight fair? And uh, healthy couples fight for resolution, but unhealthy couples fight to win. And all of this you can look at at passionlifechurch.com. They're all archived there. Just go to media. And then we talked about last week having fun. That was the romance part of the message. I saw some of you come in with a smile on your face because you were being a doer of last week's word. Come on, somebody. And uh, we talked about if you're married, you need to have fun. I'll say it that way. In other words, you need to be having sex with the one you're married to. God created it. Amen. Can you say a good amen? amen. And then we talked about staying pure. I mean, we talk, we're going to talk about that today. Staying pure. And the number five will be next week. Never give up. Let's say all these together. Ready? Let's say it. Seek God. Fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. One more time, ready? Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. Let's focus today on staying pure. And again, I, I want to just remind us, we're going from this day forward. But maybe for some of us today that are even gonna, thinking about getting married and, and maybe you've had a jaded past, I want to say some things that are very basic, but I really believe, I want to give you five ways in just a little bit that I believe God can help us stay pure. Nobody, you or me, none of us can make ourselves pure. And I think even as Christians, a lot of us receive Jesus and we're still trying to do it our own way and, in, and with our own strength. And you're going to fail. You're going to get upset. And I got to tell you, the only way that you can be pure is allowing Jesus to come inside your heart and make you pure. You know, the Bible says that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What we know from the Beatitudes is the Beatitudes say this. The Beatitudes says blessed are the pure in heart. But sometimes when we read that, we think, well, we have to be pure to see God. In other words, we have to make ourselves be pure to see God. You're never going to do that. You can't change yourself. 
But really, in reality, when Jesus comes inside your heart, he's the one that makes you pure. He's the one that does it for us. And that means that we're not alone. And that's really good news today. And no matter what, well, Pastor Phil, you don't know my past. I don't. But you know the Holy Spirit does. And his blood that Jesus shed on the cross was for everyone and every sin. And what we need to know is that God, when he wrote this, he didn't write it for his benefit. He wrote this for ours. He wrote this for ours. And as we talk about staying pure, let's talk a little bit about passion. Let's talk a little bit about keeping that fire going. Remember we said last week it takes uh, work to get the fire going. Well, let me just say this. Number one, God created the passion. I said it last week, God created sex. For some of you that don't have any reason to worship God, I just gave you one right there. Come on, somebody. He created the passion. It's God that created the passion. Yet he gives us in this instruction book, he gives us and he shows us how this passion is supposed to work. It's supposed to work his way, but he created it. Now let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And look what God says in the instruction book about this passion. In it says, it is God's will that you will be sanctified. In other words, God wants you to be purified and he wants you to be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Now, that word, those two words, sexual immorality, if you know anything about the Bible, the Bible in the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So that word, sexual immorality, actually comes from one word in the Greek. And that one word is porneia. So in the Greek, that word is porneia, but it is translated sexual immorality. Let me give you the definition of what the Greek word of porneia is. Porneia, the little word, means any type of sexual activity outside of the relationship between a husband and a wife. Any type of sexual immorality, sexual activity that comes outside of the relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, sheds more light on how God feels about this. He says this, but among you, there must be not even a hint Listen to this, not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because they, these are improper for God's holy people. Now, I think it's interesting that Ephesians 5 tells us there's not even supposed to be a hint of it. You know why? God is saying this, once you step, once you take a step into it, be careful, it's a slippery slope from there. Once you just take one step, you know what? It's a slippery slope. Here's one thing that I have found about sin and see if you can agree. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you wanted to stay and it will cost you more than you are willing to pay. But you know what? It just started with a choice. See, many people think that that choice is no big deal. I have control over it. I can do this. I got this. And then what they find out is they get trapped into something that they no longer have control over. It has control over them. 
And you know, what's interesting to me is that something that God made so beautiful, God made this passion. Some people have been shackled by it because we don't understand what God wants. And yet God wants us to be uh, passionate. And so I think that there's some mixed messages when it comes to this passion. So I thought what would be really cool today, since we're talking about passion and we're talking about fire, that right here on stage this morning, I would build a fire. I went down to my local Lowe's, right? Toys are us for men. I have the gasoline in the match here in a minute. And fires are great. I mean, I, I love fires. I don't know if you've ever put a fire together with real logs and you go camping and you put your s'mores and you heat those up and you put your marshmallow on a stick that you find in the wood. That's disgusting, but I guess we love that. Makes the marshmallow feel better, tastes better. Or if you're a guy, we just like to burn stuff. I mean, that's just going to be, I'm going to be honest about this. We just, we love to burn stuff. So if you're a guy, we just love to do this. Now, some of you are really concerned about my mental capacity right now, building a fire on the stage here at the school. But um, get the gasoline here in a moment. I brought a match. Um, so some of you even are looking at the nearest exit. You're like, where are the exits? They're, they're in the back. Fires are great. The fire is not the issue. What is the issue is where I put the, where I put the fire. That is the issue. The issue becomes, where is this fire going to be? You would not have a problem with this outside. You would not have a problem with this at a campsite. You would not have, you have a huge problem with this on stage in the middle of an auditorium. Come on, somebody. But the fire is not the issue. It's not the fire that we have a problem with. It's where we have decided, listen, it's where we have decided to burn this fire that is the issue. And see, this is what it is with God. God has given us passion. God is the one that created sex. God is the one that's given us this fire. But what is the biggest issue is where do we decide to allow that to burn? That is the issue. It's not so much the thing that is the problem. It's whether that thing can be contained based on where I have chosen to put it. And so part of the mixed messages I think that we get in church, and I've heard it, especially when, it's, when we talk about sex, it's no, stop, don't wait, no, stop, don't wait, no, stop, don't wait. God bless us and let's go home. And some of us have taken that even into marriage. When the, in, in truth, the Bible talks about sex between a husband and a wife. And I'm going to say this again. God put this passion inside of you. He put it inside of you. God wants you to have a passion in your heart. You have a desire for intimacy and it's not going to go away. It's just like, I love when, when people go on diets, like they try to really suppress their hunger, right? You know, suppress the hunger, gonna suppress the hunger, take pills to suppress the hunger, right? So they do that, lose a lot of weight, right? Because they suppress the hunger only to find out when they wake up the next day, the hunger's still there. Gosh darn it, hunger? I thought I got rid of you. 
You know, God created you to have, to eat, to have hunger. You can suppress it all day long and next day when you wake up, the hunger's still gonna be there. But it's what you do with that hunger, right? Because you can suppress it or you can be disciplined about it and use it the way that God created us to have it. But it's the same with the passion. See, for us to try to squash the passion, God put it in you. The question is not whether the passion is right or wrong. God made that for us, for between a man and a woman. The question is, how do you choose to use it? So here's number two. Passion is not the issue. Containment is. Containment is the issue. I remember as a youth pastor for over 20 years, man, youth are passionate. Students are passionate. And we're gonna do one of these relationship goals on, on parenting. But I gotta tell you, youth are passionate. They have this, people have given them this identity that uh, they're just rebels and they've taken that identity. I took that whole concept in our youth ministry and I just told them this. I said, listen, don't stop being a rebel you're just being a rebel against the wrong things. See, you're rebelling against God. Don't rebel against God, rebel against the world. Here's what you need to do. You need to be a rebel against the devil. Come on now, I am flowing. Woo! Wiki, wiki. You need to be a, a rebel against the world. Don't be a rebel against your parents. Be a rebel against everything that the world stands for. Here's what we did. So we took that passion from the teenage. We didn't squash the passion. Here's what we did. We redirected that passion and said, look, if you're going to be a rebel, let's go make a difference and make the world a better place. Let's not just rebel against, let's not rebel against God. Let's rebel against the world and take what God says and go out and make the world a better place. And we took that passion and we turned it into something that actually made a difference. But see, I think we have this idea that the passion has to be squashed. No, the passion is not the issue. The containment is. And here's number three. Passion needs parameters. Passion needs parameters. Do you know that when passion has parameters, it burns stronger and brighter? Do you know when you take a light and you condense that light, that light turns into a laser, that laser can cut through things? Why? Because it's condensed. It's the same with your passion. For some of us, we have passion for a lot of different things. And I think even as a Christian, sometimes I hear people say, you know, well, God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I'm passionate about the world. I get it. But you know where it starts? It's, it starts with having passion about reaching your neighbor. Because you got to put some parameters on that passion to start somewhere and say, whoo, I got all this passion for the world. Yeah, dude, but start by loving your neighbor. In other words, get that passion and focus it. Could you imagine if all that passion for the world that you have, you take that and you just start focusing on your neighbor? How can you help your neighbor? How can you serve your neighbor? See, because your neighbor is part of the world. But that's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about taking that passion. And you know, as Christians, when we come to God, we really submit our passions to Christ, you know, that's what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter five, verse 24. It says this, those who belong to Christ, this is what he says, they have nailed, listen to this, the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them. So in other words, 
we take all these other passions and we give them to God. How many of you, not everything is godly passion that we have in our life. But as a Christian, we take that and we give it to God today. And so let's talk about staying pure in an impure world because it's tough. I think now more than ever, it's tougher. We have access to things that in my, my day growing up, we didn't have access to. You guys, we have smartphones. We have, I mean, just with a click of, of some things on our, our, our smartphones, we can see, we can look at things that, that are impure. But here is, how can we stay pure? If God wants us to stay pure, how can we do this? Here's five quick ways. And this is actually, I just, I didn't take this from anything but the word of God and what I do in my life. Here's number one, trust God's forgiveness. Why would I put that first? I honestly believe that there are people who return to their old ways because they just do not believe that they are forgiven. They do not believe that they're forgiven. They've heard it, but at the end of the day, when they sit at home, they really say to themselves, God, how could you forgive me? So it doesn't matter if I'm impure because I've already messed up. I think Peter, Peter bears this out. Listen, listen to this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. You can just jot this down. Look at what Peter says. He says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance. How many of you know this is a process of growth? God wants you to grow. This is a process and Christianity is a journey. It's a process, but there needs to be growth. I hope you're not at the same place where you were at in 2016. I hope that there's growth. And then it says, number seven, to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love, for if these things are yours and abound in you, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to grow. Now look at verse nine. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You know what? I looked up that word forgotten in the Greek. You know what that word forgotten in the Greek means? It means accepted. So in other words, a person who doesn't grow, a person who's not moving forward is because in truth, they have not have faith in the truth that they are forgiven of their sins. And I'm gonna challenge you this morning. When we think this way, what you are doing is you are demeaning Jesus' sacrifice in your life. And you're saying that your sin is greater than the sacrifice of Christ. That's what you're saying. What you're saying is that the impurity that you have or you committed is greater than the purity of Christ. Wow. That's what you're saying. And here's what else you're saying. You're saying because of what you did, God Almighty can't forgive you. In other words, you are limiting his power in your life. I believe this because see, here's what the enemy does. You make a mistake and he says this to you. Listen, you've already done it. You've already crossed the line. What's the big deal? And you're like, yeah, what, what's the big deal? The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He's constantly going to remind you of your mistakes constantly 
constantly. And here's, if you start to think that way, that's no big deal. You know what? That's true. And the hamster wheel in your mind, it continues to play. Well, I've already done it. I'm already, I've already been unpure. You know what? So I just made just, I just go back, go back to what I've done. And then it just becomes this cycle. Yet my church family, Christ has forgiven you. Christ has redeemed you. You are not a slave to sin anymore. Come on, somebody. And I think this has to do with your identity. If you start to look at yourself through the truth of God's word, you say, you know what? Yesterday was yesterday, and today I am the forgiven. I am forgiven. And you know what's pretty amazing? God justifies you. You know what justification is? Just if I never did. And the problem with us is that we keep reminding God of our sins. And God has forgotten our sins. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17 says, Their sins and their lawlessness deeds I will remember no more. Stop reminding God of your sins. They're forgotten. You need to forget. Because here's the issue. For some of us in this room, we have now defined ourselves as impure. And you live out who you think you are. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And if I walk every day thinking I'm impure, I'm going to continue to exhibit the same behavior. So you need to have an identity change. And tomorrow when you wake up in the morning, you need to say, I am the forgiven of God. And God has forgiven me. Come on, can you give him a good round of applause this morning? You need to get in his word. Now, let me just say for those of us that, uh, for those of you today that are thinking about getting married and there's, there's things that are going on in your life and there's impurity, there's a, there's a misconception. People think, well, once I get married, that'll take care of my purity issues. No, it doesn't. It actually will expose them. It will expose them. And I'm gonna say what we said in part one. You know what we're doing? When we say, when I get married, that'll solve my purity issues, we are making that person the person. We are looking to that person to help us or to be the one to set us free in certain areas. And I said it in part one, whenever you put God-like expectations on people, you're going to be disappointed. Only God can set you free. And I want to tell you, the Bible says that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And let me just say this, because some of us are new to the faith. I hear people misquote the scripture all the time. They say, Jesus took on the sin of the world. No, Jesus became every sin to the point where when God looked at him, he had to turn away because he was the epitome of evil. Jesus became sin and he who knew no sin became sin so you and I could become sons and daughters of God. Come on, church family. Let's give God a great, let's honor his sacrifice this morning. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Here's number two. We're talking about how do we stay pure. You need to know you're empowered to be pure. You know, 
Not only does God's grace empower you, but his spirit empowers you. You know, God's grace, the Bible talks about we are saved by grace through faith. The word grace means this. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It's unmerited favor in our lives. The Bible says we are saved by grace first. In other words, it was God's idea to save you. And here we think it's our idea. Well, I got to save myself. No, it was always God's idea. Religion tells you you have to save yourself. And you know what? That is so frustrating because you cannot do it. And so it is God's grace. Now, if God's grace can save you, how many of you believe his grace can save you? Let me see your hand. You believe God's grace can save you? All right, put your hands down. Now, let me ask you this. Is his grace only powerful enough to save you or is his grace powerful enough to keep you? Amen. Come on. Because here's what we do. We get excited woo, about the grace of God. That same grace that saved you is the same grace that's going to keep you. So we got to concentrate on that grace. So his grace empowers us. Now, let me just talk a little bit about grace. And I'm going to say it the way my pastor says it in Texas. Grace is not a license for stupid. Right? People think when you start talking about the grace of God that that's just license to sin. No. My pastor says grace is not a license for stupid. Right? And he's in Texas, so he can say it that way. That's how he talks. It's not a license for stupid, and grace is not a license to sin. True grace. Listen to how Paul in Titus chapter two, verse 11 tells us about grace for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's for everybody. Look at verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So here's what grace, true grace will do. And I've watched it in people. When you receive the grace of God, that grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. True grace on the inside of you will say no to worldly lust. It'll say no to worldly lust. That's true grace. So grace isn't giving you a license to sin. Now, if you do sin, there's grace. That's what grace is for. But true grace is going to start to get you better. True grace is going to start to move you forward. So not only does God's grace empower you, but God's spirit empowers you. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Listen, if you are constantly feeding your flesh, it will continue to grow. That's why I always like to say it this way. Feed it, watch it grow, starve it, watch it die. Some of us are impure because we keep feeding the wrong things. We keep putting into it. And Paul tells us, if you'll start putting into your spirit, just like, I gotta commend you, because you came this morning, even with the time change today, your spirit on the inside is like, hallelujah. If we will feed the spirit like you are here today, you're feeding that spirit and your spirit is going, ah, you know what? You're gonna find out that those old ways you're not going to want to hang out. You don't desire them anymore. And you find this out. God starts to change them. Yeah, we have our will, but you know what? God begins to work in our hearts. And the more you feed your spirit, the more you, you know what? This thing is not going to overpower you. And God will never tell you to do something that he won't empower you to do. So he doesn't just say, be pure. Now you got to go at it on your own. No, he says, be pure. Now here's my grace and here's my spirit to empower you to be pure. Come on. You can be pure. You can, you can. And it gets better. Here's number three. Cause even when we're tempted, you need to take the escape. Amen. You know, even when you're tempted, God provides a way of escape. 
He's pretty brilliant, isn't he? Listen to this. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Let me stop. Temptation in itself is not a sin. Jesus was tempted in every point, the Bible says, and yet he did not sin. And I say that because some of us get tempted and we're like, oh, oh, I've broken all the command. No, listen, all of us in this room have been tempted in one way or another. But I think what happens is guilt comes even with the temptation. You're walking outside, you see some money on the floor and you pick it up and you're tempted to go, I'll just keep it. Thank you. It's a blessing. Or you look around and see maybe if it's somebody's, but that temptation all of a sudden can make you feel guilty. And we're all tempted. How many of you, just to illustrate this point, how many of you ever gone to the grocery store and you've picked that one cart with the wobbly wheel? Let me see your hands. Let me see. You picked that one cart. Come on. No, keep your hands up. I want to, I want to see it. Come on. No, if you've done it, let's see. Let's see. All right. Okay. Look around, please. Everybody look around. Look around. I have a point with this. You can put it down. Those of you that have never picked that cart, it's because you do not get out enough. <laughs> Here's what happens, right? We get that cart. And some of them are wobbly, and then there, there's just some that they just go this way. I don't know why. <laughs> have you ever had those ones? You grab them, and they just go this way. So it's either you got a lumpy one, right, or you got the one that's like pulling you this way, right? And here's what happens. We grab that. And how many of you, let's just be honest, okay? How many of you have grabbed that cart and you go, I just, I just seem to be like the only one that grabs this cart. Let me see your hands. Come on, let me see your hands. Look at all the hands. I did it yesterday at Target. Picked up and I go, I'm not going to grab the wrong cart. And then I even prayed like, God, show me which cart. I picked that red cart and I still got the wrong one. It was good for a while. This one was foolish. It was deceiving because it was good for a while. I was like, whoa, whoa. Then all of a sudden it started like. And I think that's how temptation is. And I thought to myself, man, am I the only one that gets this? And some people, I don't believe in luck, but they're like, I just have bad luck. I just always pick the wrong one. No, everybody almost in this room said we all get that same cart. And it's the same with temptation because a lot of us think, oh, I was tempted. Nobody else is tempted. And the enemy comes in and he tries to isolate you and think, yeah, you're whacked. You were tempted. You're, you're always getting the wrong cart. And you're the only one that gets it. It's there waiting for you. And you know what I came to do today? I came today to expose the enemy, to let him know, let you know, all of us get tempted. But here's the question. What you do with that temptation is what will determine whether you move forward or not. Now, some of us are tempted with a lot of different things. But can I just tell you, with the grace of God and with his spirit, I'm not tempted with the things that I used to be tempted with anymore. And look what Paul says. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man temptation is common to all of us. It happens. It happened to Jesus. Look, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. Listen to this. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may bear it. 
Now, when I read this, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. But when you read that, you may be able to bear it. I think sometimes we can think about, okay, God's going to make a way of escape in this temptation so I could bear it. God, I'm just bearing this temptation. But I looked up that word, bear it, in the Greek, and it's not that, oh, I just need to bear this temptation. It's not that. You know what? You may be interested to find that that word, bear it, actually means to bear by being under and and bearing up, being under, it's actually like the connotation is a river that's coming to you. And in that river, that river is going to bear you up and lift you up. So here's, here's the whole idea. How does God make a way of escape? When you are tempted, his spirit comes to you like a rushing river to bear you up so you do not fall into temptation. So he bears you up so you don't fall. Come on, that's a good word this morning. And there is a way out. But we're going to rely on his spirit. Take the escape. Take the escape. Here's number four. Is this good this morning? Is this all right? Here's number four. I think if you're going to, if you're going to stay pure, you're going to have to manage your mind. Your biggest sex organ is your mind. It's your mind. It's all in here. It starts with a thought. Adultery starts with a thought. Starts with unfaithfulness with a thought. Didn't just happen. It's little thoughts come into our mind. And you think, I always tell people, sin is planned. You think about it. Oh, I gotta go over here so nobody's, that's a plan. And I don't want anybody in a, that's a plan. And you're, you have to manage your mind. And here's the thing. Not every thought that you think is sinful. But again, you're going to decide what you begin to meditate on. What a minute. And some of you, you meditate on the past. You meditate on things that happened in your past. And you try to continue to get that out of your mind. You know, the Bible says that when we read his word, it renews our mind. There's a scripture in, in Ephesians that talks about his word, that it washes our mind. You know, I've talked with many guys and done counseling with a lot of guys who, who have looked at things on, on the computer screen that they shouldn't be looking at. And this, I'm telling you, it's one of the hardest addictions to break, but it can be broken. And I would always tell them, you need to put this in front of your eyes. And you, Job talked about making a covenant with his eyes. And you begin to read this, and this is what it does. Only the Bible can do this. This is a book that while you read it, it's reading you. This is a book that when you read it, the author is sitting right next to you reading with you because it's the Holy Spirit and he's guiding you and, and you put this in front of your eyes and it washes your mind out. But you got to start to manage your thoughts. Listen, our feelings come from our thoughts. And I think a lot of sexual immorality, really what we're looking for is a feeling. We're looking for some feeling. Oh, this person makes me feel this way. I know, but you're married. But you know where you went first? You went there with your mind first. And what you do with your mind matters. And listen, God empowers us to deal with our thoughts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, casting down imaginations. Now watch, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity, every thought. In other words, so I have thoughts. Did you ever have that? You're sitting there one day and you go, why did I think that? I mean, it literally just pops in your head. You're like, I, well, that's, that's weird. Now, 
What some people do goes, oh my gosh, they, that becomes their idea. I think I'm weird. I think, I don't know why I thought, you know why you thought that? Because the enemy throws stuff at you. He's trying to get you to think certain things. And in society now, there, you can be driving on the freeway and just turn and see a billboard that you didn't want to see. Come on, somebody. It's there. It's aggressive. And, and I, that's why I'm talking about this this morning, because the church needs to know the truth. And we're all exposed to this type of stuff. But listen, you have to think about what you're thinking about what you're meditating on. I can look at something and say, I choose not to meditate on it. Because here's the reality. Those things that we look at are going to try to exalt itself in your mind over the knowledge of God. And you have to, there's a lot of times in my life, I just say in Jesus name, I cast that imagination down. And it can, it doesn't even have to be with sexual immorality. It can be about people. I hate that person. Hey, I cast that imagination down. In Jesus' name. And you begin to, Joyce Meyer has a book, it's called The Battlefield of the Mind. That's where the battlefield is. It's right here in your mind. And they're little lies. So I think one of the little lies he tells us is, even about the fire, it's God's restrictive. He doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to have fun. He's the, he created it for us and for you. And I think some of the little lies that the enemy tells us also is that he lies to us, says, hey, this isn't a big deal. You can stop anytime you want lie. I know people that can't stop. They thought they could. There's another lie. I think the enemy tells us, he tells us, this is who you are. That's not who you are. You are a child of God. You are the forgiven. You are the graced in Jesus name. Listen, first Peter. Oh, I think it's first Peter or second Peter. I'm sorry if I got that, that text wrong. First Peter chapter two, verse 11 says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, uh, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. In other of us, in other words, if you do not take these thoughts and cast them down, you got a war going on in here. And that's the enemy's desire that you're walking around conflicted and, oh, I got, listen, take control over your thoughts in Jesus' name and say, I cast these down. Let me just say this and I'll say the last one and we'll close. All of us, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know it's true and I don't want to, all of us have feelings of loneliness. All of us do. And here's what some people think. Well, when I get married, I will never have a feeling of loneliness again. Can I tell you, even in marriage, you have feelings of loneliness. And that's what they are. They are feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Even as a child of God, you'll have feelings of loneliness. But it does not mean that God is not with you. But as a child of God, we have to learn to overcome our feelings. Our, and here's what the devil will tell you. Oh, look at you. You're alone. You feel alone. You're alone. Oh, yes, I'm alone. No, you're not alone. You can be in here today in this crowd and still feel lonely. And there's people all around you in the presence of God. And I got to tell you, you got to take those, imagine, those, those, those thoughts and say, in Jesus' name, I am not alone. The Bible says that he never leaves me. He never forsakes me in the name of Jesus. Come on, I know you want to give him a good round of applause. And here's the last one for today. 
We need to magnify the consequences if we're gonna stay pure. What do I mean by this? I've thought through this. For me, an impure lifestyle would mean for me I'd have to find a whole new line of work. I think about standing in front of my wife and having to tell her what I did. I think about having to tell my son at some point, hey, if I were to do something that was impure or to do something that would cause a divorce in, in, my, in our lives, I would have to stand before my son and tell him. I think about, and I'll believe me, I thought about standing on this stage having to tell you. I think about those things. And if you'll magnify the consequences, and I've seen people lose everything, their family, over an impure lifestyle. I've watched it. And it's not pretty, but I got to tell you with all of God's grace, he's going to empower you, but yet there's still consequences that come. And I, I let me say this because I, I, I built this up, but let me say it this way. Forgiveness is not the issue. God will always forgive you. I know people that are forgiven, but they lost their family in the process. They lost jobs because they couldn't, that addiction so got to them that even at work, they were looking at things and they lost their careers. Oh, when you come to God, he will forgive you, but they still lost a lot. And so I want to tell you, you are forgiven. But at the same time, I think if we'll think these through, look at Proverbs chapter six, verse 32, and we'll close. It says, but a man who commits adultery lacks judgment and whosoever does so destroys himself. That's not even the devil. That's the poor choices that we make can give us a destructive future. And my church family, let me encourage you, that does not have to be you. Would you stand with us today? That doesn't have to be you. Let's stand. And I wanna remind you today, we're going from this day forward. We're going from this day forward. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.